Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Does it feel like the scales are sort of tipping toward cooperation or toward competition? I think we are in a kind of a balance, so it could go either way. Hey, welcome to Politico Tech. Today's Wednesday, January 24th. I'm Stephen Overly. That was Amandeep Gill at the top of the show. He's the tech envoy for the UN Secretary General, a post that has him traveling the world trying to build global consensus on new rules for artificial intelligence. He was at CES in Las Vegas earlier this month, then Davos at the World Economic Forum last week. That means a lot of talk about AI, what it means for our daily lives, for our civil liberties, for the state of geopolitics. But Gil told me what he's really interested in is action from wealthy countries, from tech companies, from the UN itself. A real effort to work together so that those scales I asked him about tip toward cooperation. Now, that will be easier said than done, because while governments and companies broadly acknowledge AI's risks, they also have a strong desire to control the technology's future and reap all of the benefits it's expected to bring. On the show today, Gil delves into AI's existential threats, and what the world can do about them. It's uh, nice to meet you. Thank you for joining us here on Politico Tech. It's my pleasure. How much of your job these days is just getting folks, whether that's from different countries or, or from industry, to see eye to eye on what AI governance should look like and what the right path ahead should be? I think that's the major chunk of uh, our effort. My my job is to get alignment across different stakeholders. So international organizations, governments, civil society, academia and independent technologists and the private sector on what needs to be done. Because interests are different. Governments sometimes think about a national interest and uh, how, what does it mean for their standing in the world and potential competition with peer competitors, etc. Private sector thinks in terms of market cap and revenue and so on. So how do we align all those stakeholders? That's a challenge. And uh, I was plus, gonna say, it sounds hard. <laughs> well, you know, it has to be done. And then plus, how do we kind of, you know, in the cacophony, in the noise of all these initiators on AI safety, AI governance, you know, join the dots and get to a decision point, get to some concrete actions which advance AI governance. So it's not about just having excellent discussions and debates and getting together with different stakeholders and trying to have a convergence of views. It's about action as well. Well, it seems like... Maybe some of that started at the Davos meeting last week. I was watching the comments from UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez, where he really warned in his speech there about these existential threats posed by the runaway development of AI without guardrails. What are those existential threats as you see them? First and foremost is the distortion of reality. And I don't know whether it's an existential threat, but those who are kind of facing it, for them, it can be existential. So uh, whether it is public information, information related to political issues, so that goes to the heart of the credibility of political processes, democracies, how they function. So if AI, it's not just about misinformation, disinformation, it's just about shifting the intermediation of truth 
of facts, of information. That's in one way the tremendous power of AI, but that's also a correspondingly a risk. So that's for me, number one. And related to this is societal shifts jobs, how we relate to each other, you know, our societal relationships, our family relationships, to what extent they become synthetic in the future, to what extent, you know, the jobs that we take for granted, you know, we have a relationship with work in modern life. So that may shift, that may cause problems that public authorities have to deal with. It's interesting because it seems like some of those concerns, like the the breakdown in our channels of information, exacerbating economic inequality, those are all stressors on global governance systems today. And so are, are you sort of saying that with AI, that could get even worse? Exactly. So we are we are lacking capacity today to deal with the existing stresses. It's like a body whose immune system has been compromised. And then you add another set of stresses on top. And, you know, the capacity could come under serious strain. So this is a problem. And it's not just a problem in the global south. It's a problem everywhere. Public sector governments don't even understand sometimes what's the direction of technology, what's coming six months down the lane. And some private companies may know more than what governments do. So it's a shift in terms of the power dynamic inside societies as, as well. And that, you know, I'm not saying it's good or bad, but I think it's something that we have to reckon with. So all the way from immediate threats on discrimination, violation of human rights, exclusion to, you know, near term misinformation, disinformation, societal shifts, loss of control. We have to keep all of these under watch. Well, you know, with that that in mind, this idea of shifting roles of institutions and shifting power dynamics, I'm curious how that affects the role of the UN. I know you've proposed the idea of a UN agency specifically to grapple with some of these AI questions. Why do you think the UN is the right place for that? So factually, what the Secretary General has said is that he's welcomed these calls by some to think about an agency and a new entity to look at AI governance. And factually, what the Secretary General's advisory body has said in its interim report is that we consider that there are some functions that should be performed at the international level, in addition to what needs to be done nationally and by the private sector. Now the advisory body is going to dive into what kind of form could fit those functions. So is it one entity or is it a network of entities? Is it existing forums and institutions or potentially new ones? So this is an issue that over the next three, four months, this group of experts that the Secretary General has appointed would study, would consult on and then come back by the summer with some suggestions on how could we institutionalize these essential functions of international governance. And for the UN, you mentioned, you know, the challenge. I mean, we are very humble in the UN about what the UN can and cannot do. But I think it will also be a dereliction of duty to say, you know, if there's something that needs to be done, you know, oh, sorry, you know, we will think about it, you know. So then you have to be ready and prepared to assume that responsibility. There are a number of global institutions right now that seem to be you know, splintering in ways. In particular, a number of institutions, I think, are struggling because of this growing divide between the U.S. and China. And we see that in tech, but other areas too, like trade and healthcare. Will AI be any different, you think? So I hope so. I think there's an opportunity to construct an area of collaboration around AI. 
which kind of uh, helps dampen the competition and prevent a slide into kind of you know totally fragmented global response to AI. So that's our hope in the UN. I am reasonably optimistic. Uh, so realistic about the limits of cooperation today and the difficulties that geopolitical competition, especially among the major powers, poses. But I think if we can make an exception out of this area, then it has some kind of collateral positive impact on other areas of competition. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. When you think about where things stand today with, you know, just AI in particular, does it feel like the scales are sort of tipping toward cooperation or or more toward competition? I think we are in a kind of a balance, so it could go either way. And there have been some good developments. So the UK AI Safety Summit brought together a number of countries, 29. So uh, the AI advisory body of the Secretary General, you know, so we presented the interim report to member states and there was a lot of support and encouragement from diverse countries, diverse regions. So these are kind of encouraging signs, but we need to build on this and make sure that we can come together around some principles, some functions, some institutional response that kind of at least helps us build a global scientific consensus on the risks and challenges, the opportunities and enablers, helps us build global interoperability around safety standards, around risk management frameworks, and also helps us to come together to pool resources, whether it is compute or data or talent, so that we can together solve some of the societal challenges that are there, whether it's the green transition, agriculture and food security, health, etc. You know, other issue that I I hear talked about a lot is these tensions around global economic disparities, which in some cases have remained persistent or worsened despite global efforts. When you think about the potential impact of AI on the global south, as we're referring to it, what's the calculus of sort of good versus harm that you think the technology will do? I think there is excitement around the technology in terms of its leapfrogging potential. So some countries who benefited from digitalization, they are looking at data and AI as the next opportunity to go up the development ladder faster. But for a lot of countries, it's like, oh no, you know, we have another mountain to climb. You know, we were falling behind already. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now here is another shifting landscape and we are lost. If you look at, for instance, most parts of Africa, you know, leave aside the digitally dynamic, you know, East Africa, parts of Western Africa, parts of Maghreb, you know, you have a large number of countries uh, who are kind of bewildered, you know, so they're struggling with supplying electricity, basic digital connectivity, affordable devices, data costs. And then on top of that, suddenly, you know, if AI shifts the digital landscape, again, in the direction of the incumbents, so then 
they are wondering, you know, what's our place in the food chain of the future digital economy? So I think that's where in the UN we want to focus on and make sure that this is not kind of, you know, forgotten from the agenda and that we actually have action. What's to be done about that? And to what extent does a solution require the wealth and intellectual resources of countries like the US or European Union that have benefited from past technological waves and stand to benefit the most from AI as of right now. Right. So at Davos and previously at the September UNGA meeting, I've made this point that, you know, existing business models are not going to deliver that. So if we have six, seven companies that are going to grab most of the pie, the economic windfall from AI, and then they say, oh, this will trickle down to the rest of the world. You know, believe us, these productivity gains, this economic growth is going to go down to the rest of the world. Then we have a problem because uh, trickle down hasn't worked in the past. So uh, I think we have to be more deliberate about it. The business model underpinning AI deployment has to be more diverse. The ecosystem of innovation, of realizing the economic opportunity has to be more diverse. So instead of seven, I often say you need 7 million, 70 million companies that are kind of developing this and putting out products so that, you know, more people can benefit, more people can participate in this. And then coming back to the business model, there is no money to be made in areas like developing new agriculture varieties for climate change, resilient agriculture. And right. At least not today. You know, there's money to be made from chatbots and, you know, integrating AI into existing software packages. So how do we make sure that there is incentive for AI to go into those harder areas like plastics, pollution, or developing new kinds of material, etc., for which the market doesn't exist uh, today. So this is where governments will have to come together. Public sector will have to come together. Philanthropy will have to come together. Just now, 10 philanthropies have announced that they are going to put a couple of hundred million dollars into some of these issues. So we need more of that. And we need some pooling of talent because the talent is highly concentrated in a few geographies and those geographies are pulling in talent from the rest of the world. So how does talent come together? Data sets, we have an existing problem with data. It's not diverse enough. Its quality is often, you know, deficient. So if you add some incentives around data from Africa, data from Southern Asia on health issues, for instance, it helps everyone. But then, you know, what do those people get in return? You know, those who are contributing data. If it's the existing business model, probably nothing. So we have to think of new kind of incentives. Do you have a sense of what those incentives would be to get folks to change their business model? Because candidly, the business model that exists today has been very good for some countries, right? For some companies, getting them to uh, change the business model seems like a hard sell. Yes. So you have to present an alternative, a different paradigm, which works. And which makes the difference in terms of scientific discovery, in terms of innovation in a few areas. And then you will attract the private sector to those areas. And you also have to, some ways, uh, shame the private sector into this. You know, so far they've been talking big about this. And so, okay, now walk the talk. You know, can you put some resource, can you share some compute power with these researchers, entrepreneurs from the global south? And then governments have to act, you know, governments always have a number of tools to change the incentives around business models. At one of the panels in Davos, I said that my wish for 2024 was for AI to become boring so that, you know, governments stop thinking this is, uh, this is you know, like the ring to rule all 
worlds <laughs> or the private sector. This is my next trillion dollars. It becomes boring. It's right. It's important, but it's not, you know, trillions of dollars. It's not ruling the universe. Then I think we will have a different set of incentives in play. I hear a lot of conversation around the promise of AI, in particular for addressing some of these sustainable development goals, you know, areas that persistently been a problem and that the world is looking to address. Climate change, for instance, is often cited as an example. I guess the stumbling block that I sometimes run into is understanding that AI has this great potential to generate new ideas, to analyze data and kind of recommend solutions, but then it will ultimately be up to humans to agree on a solution and execute it. And that's been a problem that I don't know that AI solves. How do you sort of reconcile that issue? I think we need to realize that this is not magic. You know, at the end of the day, it all comes back to whether, you know, you take crypto, essentially at the end of the day, you have to spend it in the real world. Right. So AI as well, you know, all our problems, all our solutions are eventually analog. Technology is a pathway. And at the end of the day, what are we trying to do? We are trying to get more well-being, more freedom, you know, more fulfillment in life. Those are kind of, you know, fundamental life goals and purposes that haven't changed for millennia. And AI is not going to change those things unless, you know, we change as a species, become something else. So I think we need to realize that and need to continue investing in the analog world. You know, I met a startup, a small company in Davos in the intellectual property domain, democratizing the IP opportunity for SMEs using AI. Fantastic work. But, you know, it's all coming back to the analog world. I met a civil society organization training farmers using LLMs. Fantastic work. But if they didn't have those analog connections with farmers' communities, it won't work. So I think that's the wisdom around AI application that we need to kind of mainstream around the world. Listen, thank you so much for joining us here on Politico Tech. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's all for today's Politico Tech. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our managing producer is Annie Reese. Our producer is Afra Abdullah. Our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. See you back here tomorrow 